Howdy folks. Today we are going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 3 through 6. I want to remind you that we are in a context wherein like last week we talked about 1 Peter 3 1 and 2 where we have a wife says likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word they also Without the word, be won by the conversation of the wise, why they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. We're talking about a woman who is married to a non-Christian man. We're going to be continuing in that in verses 3 through 6. It's not that the principles do not apply to women who are married to Christian men. It is the emphasis of the text as the context goes back to chapter 2 and verse 12, that we're talking about civil governments and masters and servants, etc. The principles apply, even you men out there. You men out there, and we're going to hit on this next week. When we get to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 begins with the word likewise, which means similarly or equally in the same way, and there you're going to be talking about men or husbands in that regard. So don't just dismiss this if you're a man or if you're married to a Christian man, uh, a woman married to a Christian man, just to be very clear there. We are talking about principles that apply broadly. In fact, I'm going to use scriptures that aren't even talking to wives to bring about the points. For example, in our study today, we're going to talk about how you can dress up something to outwardly look good, but that doesn't mean that that person or that thing is really good on the inside. You know, you could have a, an automobile, for example, uh, where you have metal that's just rusted through and through, and somebody might put a coat of paint over that and try to hide it with a little Bondo and try to make it look better than it is. That's not going to make the rust go away. The problem is still going to be there. It's just going to be masked on the exterior. We see Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. He says, Woe well unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Even so ye outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. We are talking about today a lesson that's going to focus on the inward person. That's what the Lord sees. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his statutes, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And this is when David rejected Saul as the king of Israel because of his errors. <clears throat> God says, I see what's going on on the inside. This context focuses on the inside. For each of us to examine ourselves like the Bible teaches us to do in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. This is about looking on the inside. Who are you internally? It's not about what the world sees 
or even what the world calls good. This is one of the major errors of a lot of people is they're concerned that, you know, what's, what's the world seeing me? And it's not that that doesn't matter. It does. I mean, this very context proves that, right? You Christian women behave yourself in such a way that your non-Christian husband sees the gospel in you, like we talked about last week. But it's not according to the standard of the world, you see. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus there in a great context, he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. That is why Christians are taught in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't live with what the world calls good being your standard. And when it comes to beauty, because we're talking about a wife and, you know, I, I'm pretty confident that most women want to be beautiful. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, let me look as ugly as I can be. But outward beauty in contrast to a godly woman Proverbs 31.30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Look, if, if somebody's just focused on the exterior, the exterior eventually goes away and sometimes faster than others, sometimes due to natural aging, sometimes due to other things. You know, you, you think about a, a, a woman who maybe a man finds extremely attractive and whatever that is in his eyes, and he just falls in love with how she looks on the external. One of the things I always tell young men when they're talking about marriage and thinking about getting married is I tell them, be cautious that you're not just thinking about the physical side of marriage. What happens that day that you get married and you're off to wherever it is that you're going to come together and be one flesh and you're in an automobile accident. And here are this gorgeous women that you woman that you can't wait to get the clothes off of is severely injured. Maybe she becomes a paraplegic. And from that day forward, you're going to be changing her diapers. Do you still love her? Are you still going to want to spend the rest of your life with her? You know, our world focuses so much on the exterior that when people get married and, you know, the, the physical side of the relationship isn't the way it was in the first year or two or three or whatever it is, depending on that, those specific people. I mean, I met people where it's not the same on week two as it was on week one, and they've already got problems. Well, listen, can you sit down and have a conversation with the person that you have married and be in love with them as a person? Just put us in a room. We don't need a television. We don't need any music in the background. We don't need all kinds of frills and so forth and so on. I love you because I can talk to you. Women who are godly are internally beautiful. 
Think about Proverbs 11 and verse 22. It says, as a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. You dress up a pig, you know what a pig is? Still a pig. You put earrings on a pig, you know what a pig is? Still a pig. You put dress on a pig, you know what a pig is? Still a pig. Well, a woman without discretion is still a pig. <laughs> you get it? That's the Lord's illustration. For you ladies out there that might get a little upset with that, you can take it up with him, but I agree 100%. Not that my agreement matters. There are disgusting women in this world that outwardly may be as attractive as can be, but inwardly, they're muddy pigs. Whew. Evil women. Evil women weaponize beauty. They use it to a carnal advantage. I'll, I'll come back to this point in a little bit, but just to bring it up, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 23 through 26, says the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. What beauty of a woman gets weaponized. So, women, do not use your outward appearance to manipulate, to gain advantage as a weapon over men. And men, don't let women do that to you. She may look good. She may get you all fuzzy and tingly inside and thinking about things that you ought not be thinking about, but you're going to bed with a pig. You're going to bed with a pig in that case. And that's the scriptural illustrations that need to stand out in your mouth. What makes a person, whether they're a man or whether they're a woman, because there are no other genders, good is God's view of that person. But listen to this. You people out there that call yourselves Christians, okay? In the Bible, there are clear lines drawn by Jesus. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. That's twice. Did you hear those words? Did you hear those words? In the scriptures, there is distinctions. When Jesus was praying to his father prior to his arrest and, and, and being put to death, and he was talking to the father in heaven, to our father in heaven, to his father in heaven, and he was praying about the disciples, he said in John 17, 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There are those that are of God, and there are those that are of the world. There are those in light, and there are those in darkness. There's not an in-between. There's not an in-between. There's either the pure, the innocent, the holy, or the opposite. 
What matters is how God sees them. Deuteronomy 6.18, Thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers. Right and good in the sight of the Lord is the point. And 3 John verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil hath not seen God. Look at the clear lines in the sand. So you go out there and remember this context. This context is a Christian woman married to a non-Christian man. She is married to a man that is not good. The fact that he is of the world means he's not good. it, It really disturbs me when I hear People that profess to know Christ start talking about worldly people as though this is a good person. And then when when you say, hey, look, that's not a good person. That's perfect. Oh, you know what I mean. Actually, I don't know what you mean because I wouldn't call them good because the Bible doesn't call them good. I, I think a lot of people tend to read those scriptures and then somehow, I don't know, exchange them with some other thought in their mind. This woman is married to a man that's not good. Instead of caving in, he won't even listen to the gospel. Instead of caving in, conduct yourself like we talked about last week with chase conversation coupled with fear. Now this week we pick up and we're talking about this godly wife. He says in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection on their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and not are, and are not afraid with any amazement. So we're going to break this text down. The outward adorning, not being, you know, window dressing. Oh, we're, we're, this word adorning, it, it's, it is, it is a fascinating word when you jump into uh, a, a word study. And, and when you look at the King James here, the word adorning the second time in verse 3 is added. The first time that it's there, uh, if you were to look it up, it is Strong's number 2889. And it's talking about orderly arrangement, decoration, uh, by implication, the world, and, and Strong says, in a wide or narrow sense, including its inhabitants, literally or figuratively, morally adorning the world. Uh, Thayer gives a, a much larger definition um, than, than even that, but it's fascinating when you look at the translation of the word, 186 times of the 187, I'm going to say this is about because I didn't count every one of them. Um, and trust a little bit into what the dictionary says. So we'll just use the word about 186 times. It's just translated world. So what you have, whose world, let it not be that outward plating of the hair and wearing the gold or of putting on of apparel. I want you to think about this. When you back up to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, 
The text says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, and like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or perils or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. That's a lot to chew on, but it is very good commentary on what we are talking about today. The word adorn there in 1 Timothy 2.9 is to decorate, to uh, garnish, to trim. Uh, Thayer says to put in order, arrange, make ready, prepare, ornament, adore, uh, metaphorically to embellish with honor, to gain honor. Uh, it's translated in Matthew 12.44 is garnished. It's translated in Matthew 23.29, garnish. It's translated in Matthew 25 and verse 7, trimmed. In Luke 11 and verse 25, garnished. In Luke 21 and verse 5, adorned. Here, it's twice in our in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 as adorned. Uh, once in verse 9, once in verse uh, 10. When we get to 1 Peter 3, 5, this Greek word adorned shows up after this manner in old time, the holy women also trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection on their own husbands. So this is pretty fitting that this word is used. It's a root of what we're talking about. Uh, when you look at the book of Revelation, uh, the church coming out of persecution as adorned as a bride for her husband. So a lot of good stuff that you can see there and, and that you can think about. Rather, rather than, you know, a woman putting on things that are just standing out and making them look worldly, right? Uh, in fact, the word modest in 1 Timothy 2.9 means orderly, of good behavior. Uh, Thayer, in Strong's number 2887, says well-arranged, seemly. So a woman is to be well-arranged. She is to be seemly. That's, that's stuff to think about. Modest apparel, well-arranged, seemly. The only other time that Greek word is used is in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. And it's talking about the qualifications of elders. A bishop must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. Right there, that wording, of good behavior, is translated there in 1 Timothy 2.9, modest apparel. So apparel that's of good behavior. Think about it along those lines, right? Apparel that is of good behavior. So I was breaking down and thinking about this word adorning a little bit, orderly arrangement. And again, it's translated world, just like you would think about the world. You know, in Matthew 4, 8, where Satan is tempting Jesus, the devil take him into a seating high mountain, show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. It's, it's the world, right? In Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world, a city that's on a hill that cannot be hid. That's the word translated adorn here. In Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world as Jesus is talking to the apostles and preach the gospel to every creature. We get that. If you keep going down of the 186 times or so that that word is translated world, 
in first John 2, 15 through 17, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passed away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So don't be orderly arranged in such a way of that what is not to be loved. Don't let it be the outward. I, I think that's fascinating. When, when you do the way that God has used that word and the way it's been translated into English, that, that's a, a great word study for you right there. But rather than depending on a word study, you don't have to complicate this subject matter that much. The women of Judah, for example, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 4, I'm going to start in Isaiah 3, 16 through 24, outwardly looking adorned, they're arranged in such a way to display beauty, but what were they really? And Isaiah 3, 16 through 24 says, moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. Do I even need to read any further? You sh I shouldn't, but let's, let's go. Walk with stretch forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. And that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their coals and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers and the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, the mantles, the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen, the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of a sweet smell, there should be a stink. Instead of a girdle, a rent. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of stomacher, a girding of sackcloth and burning instead of beauty. So because they were haughty, because they walked with wanting eyes, Lord says, I'm going to take what you've ornamented yourself with. I'm going to take what you have made yourself to appear like. And I'm going to turn it upside down. That beautiful hair, you're going to be bald. Burning instead of beauty. And then the next chapter, Isaiah 4, 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall purge the blood of Jerusalem in the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. He was angry with Israel. And those women, they dressed up. They put on a show. They walked about to get attention. And the Lord humbled them. Hey, this is not different than if you were to break this point down in other ways. Think about when, when Jesus was talking to the multitude in Matthew chapter 23, and he was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees that sat in the seat of authority in Moses' seat. And he said in Matthew 23, 12, whosoever should exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know what? These women were pigs with jewelry on. The Lord was just going to uncover that. Show them for what they are. Hmm, something to think about. Men would do well here. Women would do well here. Now think about how the outward appearance doesn't mean anything. Somebody could look very good, but be filthy. 
spiritually speaking, and even physically speaking. I mean, you know, deodorant can hide some stuff, but mm, only so far. Back to the weaponizing of beauty. I want you to think about some of the Proverbs and something out of the book of Ecclesiastes in regard to this outward beauty point. In Proverbs 2, 16 through 19, wisdom, what's the point of it? To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, with flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the God of her youth and forgotteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her past unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. So we want to study and learn that there are women out there that will weaponize themselves against men. And Proverbs chapter 7, 10 through 27 says, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. So what somebody dressed like a whore, you don't have to draw a very big picture. You get what that means, right? She looks like she wants something to happen. But beyond that, she has conduct. And this fits the whole context of what we're talking. It says she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth and wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with impudent face, said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, cinnamon. Come, let us take our full of love unto the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He taketh a bag of money with him, will not come home the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With a flatting of her hips, lips, rather, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken now unto me, therefore, O you children. Attend the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. I, I mean, God's word tells us, what's up? And that's what's up. There are women out there that are going to look and talk and act in a way to entice a man to death. Solomon Ecclesiastes 7.26 says, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hair or her hands rather as bands who pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Christian women, when you're focused on the outward, this is the direction you're heading. You are more concerned about how you look than who and whose you are. The inward needs to be what you turn attention to. And your husband, especially the worldly man, the man that is outside of Christ, needs to see the true beauty of Christianity and how that your beauty is your conduct rather than how good you look in that outfit 
all decked up and appareled. The text goes on and says this. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. All right? The inward man. That's what the... the when you look at that in Romans 2.29, he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision of that heart and the spirit, not letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. He's talking about the inward person of the heart. First Timothy 1.5, Paul told Timothy, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Women, start within. Think back, back to Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus told them in verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Every Christian should understand this. Conversion begins internally and then shows up externally, right? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Starts inward. Shows up outwards, not corruptible. It's talking about that which is immortal. That's what not corruptible means. It's talking about your soul, your spirit, the immortal. In fact, that's what that word is translated in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, honor and glory forever and ever. Listen, this, this back to my earlier illustration. Man, honeymoon night. Crash. Ladies, is he still going to love you like he did when he was excited to find out what's under your garments? Is he attracted to the hidden woman of the heart? Thus, a godly woman, if you want your husband to love you, you're going to be different than any other woman he is ever around. You're going to be that, that Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, virtuous woman. He's going to trust you, find safety in you. He's not going to say that about a woman of the world. He might say she looked good in that dress, or he might think it, but he ain't going to trust it. He's going to know why she looks good in that dress. She likes attention. He's not going to trust a woman like that. Wise men don't trust women like that. And I'm not saying go out there and look like a pig. We'll get to some balancing points in a moment. But that inward beauty, that's what a man needs to fall in love with. And if you want him with the outward, keep him with the inward. The godly focus of a woman in Christ is on the spiritual, just like it is for all Christians. In Romans 8, 5 through 8, they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they, they, are the world, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And by the way, being in the flesh is being worldly. Look, when a godly man or an ungodly man looks at a woman who is not trying to gain the attention of every guy that walks by, he respects her. He knows that her beauty is beyond skin deep. 
Remember some things that Christians ought to know. And let's balance this. The outward is going to perish and is perishing. 2 Corinthians 4.16 For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How sad it is when a woman hits a certain age and she starts to get wrinkles on her under her eyes, things that are natural. Things don't, after childbearing, stay where they used to be without a little surgery uh, to help. And the woman looks at her husband and says, do you still love me like you used to when everything was, you know, what you liked to begin with? Listen, godly women, if you live right and your beauty is inward, you're going to be more beautiful as you age because what is inward in Christ grows and gets stronger as you age. And he's not going to love you less, nor is he going to be attracted to you less. He's going to be more so. Even a man of the world will see that. Now, there is balance. The godly wife who is married to a Christian man or a non-Christian man does, to some degree, care about things of the world, how she may please her husband. This you got to balance this, okay? The balance point is in 1 Corinthians 7.31, and then we'll look at verse 34 that says what I just said. Verse 31 says, They that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Look, a woman can say, I want to look nice from my husband. As long as you understand how to balance that. Don't abuse it. Don't make your relationship entirely and thoroughly carnal. And do not think that your beauty is outward. Now, verse 34 says, There is dish between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman care for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married care for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I get it. You know, a, a woman, a man, if you read that context as well, wants to do things for physical pleasure for their spouse. Yes, but balance it. Understand the point of 2 Corinthians 4.16. The outward man is perishing. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend in the gym. As you get older, your body is going to change. Your clothes are going to fit differently. Your hair might thin out. Makeup can only hide so much. And even if you go to a, a plastic surgeon and you become Dolly Parton, I mean, you're going to look older and weird. I, I, I mean, some people who've had a lot of plastic surgery look extremely weird and scary to some degree. Man, if you want to convince somebody that there's aliens walking around the world today, just take a look at some of the Dolly Partons of the world. It doesn't look right. It's strange. The godly woman says, when I'm 75 years old, my husband's going to love me because I'm going to be a strong Christian wife. I'm going to support him. I'm going to hold him up. He can trust in me. He loves the soul within my flesh. We have to remember, we are souls with bodies, not bodies with souls. 
The body without the spirit is dead. James 2 and verse 26. You, the person that will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you, the person within that God looks at, is what you need to make sure looks good and not in a worldly way. That woman who is godly, that hidden man of the heart that focuses on that which is not corruptible, meaning the spirit, the soul, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Meek meaning mild and humble. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5 and verse 5. When we think about quiet, meaning peaceable, when Paul told Timothy uh, about praying for mankind for inner peace, for kings, for all that in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Peaceable there is the word quiet translated here. We want to have a quiet, a peaceable life. And of course, these are things that all Christians should know. Romans 14, 19, let us follow therefore after the things which make for peace, things wherewith one may edify another. When you look at a woman who isn't peaceful, oh my. Proverbs 12, 4, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she make a shame is rottenness in his bones. Oof. A contentious woman in Proverbs 19, 13 is like a continual dropping. In Proverbs 21, 9, it's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house and likewise... In Proverbs 25, 24, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. A woman who is peaceable. Do you know what it means for a man to be able to come home and not have to deal with chaos? It's wonderful. But to come home and have to deal with a woman Wherein there's no peace, that man might take a second job. He might take a third job. He may feel like he is in slavery to a horrible woman. Ladies, is that what you want in life? You want your husband to be look at you as something he's forced to be with? I say something because you're something. God says... Be mild, be peaceable. That type of woman in the sight of God, Proverbs 31 and verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies. That's the woman you Christian ladies need to be. You need to be quiet, peaceable, meek, mild, and humble. You need to be the woman that's focused on what's on the inside. And listen up. That will show up on the outside. It will. You know, my wonderful wife, she is outwardly beautiful. She is inwardly. I don't even, there's not a word in the English language that describes the amount of beauty I see in her as a godly woman. She suffers from ailments in the flesh. I have told her many times, uh, if those ailments lead to disability, that I will carry her around, that I am just as happy as can be 
sitting next to her in a recliner and talking to her and being with her, to be in her presence as any physical pleasure can bring about. And it's not, I'm aging and I don't have physical desires. Well, not even close. It's what I love about her is far, far greater what she is inside than what she is on the outside. And I love the fact that she feels that same way about me because that's what keeps a marriage strong. The outward person isn't going to, generally speaking, without much plastic surgery, going to look the same 30 or 40 or 50 years down the road. I mean, I got a wife, if you look at pictures, <laughs> she looks young. She looks like she'd hit in her 20s in a lot of ways. She don't feel that way. Her body doesn't move that way. You have to look close to see the effects of arthritis in her joints, etc., etc. But I don't care what happens to her flesh outside of the fact that pain that it causes her. And listen, that's me looking at her genuinely, not with blinders on. You Christian women, you want your husband to be amazed by you? Be good on the inside. Be beautiful internally. The text goes on to talk about holy women of the past. Trusted in God. Adorned themselves. Subject to their own husbands. Well, a woman that trusts in God. A widow indeed. That's one of her qualifications in 1 Timothy 5.5. 5. She's a widow indeed, desolate, trusteth in God, continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. Having that adornment, again, the idea of, you know, what is on the outside. I, I brought this up uh, earlier as we were kind of looking forward a little bit and thinking about the word here. Uh, adorned means to be garnished, right? Like Luke 21.5 and Revelation 21.2. I already brought that up, but just to remind you of it. Their conduct. We talked about subjection in 1 Peter 3.1. That the wives be in subjection to her husband. We talk about whether or not he is a Christian. The wife is in subjection to the husband. That was last week's lesson. It's brought up here again. It's repeated here again. It's, 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 it's like the Holy Spirit knows some people need to hear things two or three times. So it's brought up here again. I'll leave it at that. Sarah referred to Abraham as Lord. Genesis 18, 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after am I waxed old, should I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. Look at how she revered him. Her actions and not just her words is what I want you to think about. And a good godly woman. I, I remember when I told my wife, I wanted to preach the gospel. Boy, was that scary. And a lot of people around us uh, had a lot of cautionary tales about the life of a gospel preacher. The Bible has a lot of cautionary tales about the life of preaching the gospel. I mean, one that stands out, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, where Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Some of the worst things that have, some of the worst ways that I've been treated, let me phrase it this way, 
has been at the hands of those that profess to be Christians. Extreme hypocrisy. And well, the work of a preacher is going among the hypocrites and clean them up. And if they won't be cleaned up, reprove, rebuke, exhort, right? I mean, two-thirds negative, one-third positive. It's a rough life, scary life. Told my wife we were going to go somewhere. We ended up going to first to uh, Zanesville, Ohio. And I stood up and I preached. I wasn't, I was, we didn't move there yet. We were talking to the group of people there about moving there. And I stood up and preached and I covered a, a great deal of, of lessons. And one of the things that I covered was the subject matter of divorce and remarriage and exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 12. Well, come to find out, uh, I'm, I'm up there preaching and I can tell, I can tell by looking at the audience, things didn't go well. There's a lot to this. I'm just going to make it brief, but I met with the men of that congregation. This isn't the only bad thing about that visit. This is just one of many. But I met with them in a room and my wife Katrina was sitting out in the auditorium and we were supposed to come back that night and so forth and so on. She could hear them yelling at me. Now I say all this to say, that, to, to, to say this. At that moment, I wasn't sure I wanted to preach anymore. Not long past, I'm like, yep, I got to preach the gospel. I got to. I have to. I'm ready. Let's go. And my wife followed me. She didn't dig in her heels. We moved to Virginia. That went bad. We moved to Pennsylvania. That went bad. I mean, we moved to another place in Pennsylvania, and it started out really bad. And it's like, here we go. Here we go. Let me tell you what my wife did. I sat on the floor as a gospel preacher I can't remember the year, 99, I, I don't remember the year, but it's been a long time ago. I sat on the floor in a house in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania, after some terrible things happened to me as a result of preaching the gospel by people that profess to be Christians. Horrible, terrible things. I cried, and I said, that's it, I'm done. My godly wife, who, listen, when a preacher's suffering, his family's suffering. Like, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? She looked at me and she said, you can't do anything else. She pulled me up by my bootstraps and got my mind right. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more beautiful in this world than that. If it weren't for my wife, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast today. Somebody might say, well, you'd have come to yourself. Well, I don't know. My wife, she brought me to myself. What does this have to do with Sarah? When Abraham was called to go, he went. When he was told to do, he did. And you know what? His wife went and did with him. And Hebrews 11, 8 through 15 says, by faith, Abraham, when he's called to go out into a place which he should not, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful with promise. Therefore, sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they, after they say such things, declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Look, look, Sarah didn't dig in her heels. She followed her husband because of that. And listen, there were bumps along the road, and she was part of some of those bumps. But she did not dig in her heels and say, I'm not going. This is home. You know how many women out there will dig in their heels, tell their husband, I'm not leaving my family. This is where I want to be. If you want to go, go. There are a lot of women like that. And there are a lot of men that let those women be like that. Hey, men, you're not off the hook there. Sometimes a woman needs to be put in her place. You need to grow a pair sometimes and take your pants back and put them on straight up. Sarah is used here as an example not just because she called him Lord, but because she followed him as such. Being daughters of Sarah is a figure of speech likened unto how Abraham is our father. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many have been baptized in Christ, put on Christ. Neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither male or female, for we're all one Christ Jesus. And if you be Christy, then you... If you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You ladies, take after the seed, going back to the wife. Look at your husband as Lord. Like we talked about last week, right? This, this isn't some different point. It's just a different way of making the same point of Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the point. Don't miss it. I hope you got a lot to think about, men and women, men and women. If you're single and you're thinking about this lesson, whoo, hope you can learn something from it. Hope you can learn something from it. You marry that beautiful woman, or like we're going to talk about next week, likewise, you marry that hunk of a man. Whew. Find out that they're really just a muddy pig internally. So next week, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We're going to pick that up next week. I hope uh, this lesson has been uh, to you information. I hope it has been challenging. I hope that there are some people out there that are listening going to change because the women of the world that we see today, there are very, very, very few that are like the woman that Peter is instructing godly women to be here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But listen, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. They are the commandments of God. If you expect to get to heaven, you better obey them. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, I will be back on Tuesday with another podcast. Until then, I will say goodbye.